Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Welcome back to the Wunder Mobility Podcast. Today I'm with Michael Barrier-Scholz, co-founder and CEO of Yoki. Welcome. Yes, thanks for having me, Gunnar. I'm very glad that we get to meet and speak today because you are working in a field that is yet a lot in the future, I would say. An area that we don't necessarily see everywhere yet. Not everybody has on their radar, but you are representing a company that's very far advanced and you had a lot of traction recently in this topic. What is what is it that you're working on? What are you trying to build at the moment? Yeah, uh, maybe I can explain in detail what are our core products first. We have uh, two core products here. One is mobility analytics. We have built up a team of mathematicians, ge geographers, data scientists, so a lot of different competence areas. And they do data-driven decision support for new mobility, especially for demand-responsive transport. So with the technology and methods they built, explained in a nutshell, they are able to simulate how people make use of different transport modes. Also, which kinds of socio-demographic differences are there? And they can compare these habits to changes in the systems and we can predict where new mobility makes sense and where they are maybe not making so much sense. All of these with millions of simulations, runs, and really a rich amount of data from public transport surveys and anonymized cellular phone data and so on. This is kind of our prediction technology and component. Mm -hmm. And a second product, um, which is more in the media, I guess, is our operating system for digital mobility, which is a rich white-label approach platform to operate on-demand shuttles in the real world. Customers like cities or transport operators are using this piece of technology on a software-as-a-service approach and run um, demand-responsive transport services there. Um, can be completely customized to local and individual needs and can be deeply integrated into public transport. And actually, it is used in more than already 20 cities and services with hundreds of vehicles already. And the cool thing is it is suitable to operate it with drivers or with autonomous vehicles too. So completely ready for the future today. So you are describing two product verticals, I think you would also call that. One is an analytics service, not maybe necessarily like a SaaS solution, but more yeah, a service where you analyze a lot of data points for cities to help them interpret where traffic in the city currently is efficient or not and what the impact of some new mobility solutions could be, correct? And then the exactly. other one is you are able to offer one of these new mobility solutions as a service, basically as a SaaS service, which is pooled ride-hailing, basically shuttle services. And I think exactly. that topic itself is not so new. Maybe Uber people might say, okay, we did this five years ago, seven years ago or so, we called Uber Pool and so on, but it never really got traction in most markets. Most markets today, most cities today in Europe don't have pooled ride-hailing services of the new kind, let's say. They have the traditional, if you would call a bus, the pooled ride-hailing service that goes to a fixed schedule, but not dynamically routed. And why is it that when this idea is not entirely new and there have been big ride-hailing players already many years ago, also 
launching this, successful in some markets, but not in most, that this topic hasn't gained more traction yet because it's conceptually very obvious that we should upgrade our public transport systems with something that's more demand-responsive, data-driven, dynamically routed. Why is that whole field still an yeah. early thing? So when you have a launch now, that's like news, that's newsworthy basically still because it's so new still. Yeah, this is a good question. I think the actual, maybe like you like you stated three or five years ago, it was, was more um, the players who launched it, like the transport network companies in Northern America, Northern America or Asia who started with it. But I think or we can see it in the last three years, the public transport operators really saw that this is a really um, an important piece to invert the actual uh, version of public transport, which has a lot of offerings with fixed timetables and fixed stations, and to invert this with technology that you can really see where people would like to go from A to B and then exactly bring out a service who can serve this customer demand. And the first stage, I guess, was the dilemma, which we saw in the last year. Most of the new mobility offerings we saw They had to be self-economic from the provider's view. So they concentrated completely on city centers because there is the highest density of people. And, and so it is assumed that the profitability is the highest there. But actually there in these city centers, especially in European counties, there's also a great density of public transport and you have an offer for taking a bus or metro ride almost every three or five minutes. Or you can use your bike or walk. And then there are these discussions of space consumptions of the new offers at the city centers. So in the outskirts, so we are actually really uh, concentrating with our B2G, B2B customers on outskirts. There's, it's the opposite. In most cases, you don't have so much a big density of public transport, bus lines every 30 minutes or every hour. And this is why so many people have an own car or in a family, two or three cars. And these cars are often used for commuting to the centers because it is much faster in most cases than to use uh, public transport. And there we can avoid a lot of traffic if you connect these suburban areas or outskirts with the city centers and give people more flexible offers. For example, you order your shuttle close to a place you live and then you are being transported to an S-Bahn or to a metro bus lines. And on the way, other people are pools and you use the same vehicles. And also there's no need to bring your car in the city centers and search for a parking space. And this is exactly what we, for example, do at Hamburg, where you are located together with the Verkehrsbetriebe Hamburg-Holstein, who are operating there. We are concentrating on the outskirts, for example, in Hamburg, where we are operating since 2018 now. There are 70% of the people who are using the shuttles to connect to public transport and already 25% use them instead of their own car. And this is the thing which is different. And also these services in the last two years, which makes them different from the ones you stated, are completely integrated into public transport. You can use your public transport ticket. For example, in Hamburg, uh, you can hop, hop off um, there in an outskirt area and with one ticket, you can completely take a ride just to the Elbphilharmonie and the city or so on. And this makes them different and also they are operated by, 
by existing public transport operators and not by private companies. So pooled ride hailing of a first generation basically coming from this idea that like a taxi driver would now take several people. Maybe that's even a private person with their own car, whatnot, first generation ride hailing, but probably, like you said, focused on uh, the most dense areas and even then very difficult to run economically, in, if not in, in huge cities. And now you are taking a very different approach to using pooled ride hailing to say, okay, analysis first from a city perspective, where are the weak spots, what is needed, and then use that probably not so much in the you know, well-served areas, but more to connect people from outskirts to the public transport networks. And you mentioned an example of a client, which was in Hamburg. I actually see these cars. I live where they operate. I see um, like drivers hanging out and, and wait. And I see the, the signs, like this is a place where you can meet and so on. And uh, your client that's using your technology is a public entity. How many, if you can say that, of your, um, you know, either clients or shuttles on your system really need to run, you know, profitably, independently, whether it's an operator launching a business to run or are serving kind of a public transport-like need where the operator doesn't necessarily need to run fully profitable yeah. because it seems like you're more focused on actually like a public good kind of idea where it's yeah, integrated into public transport and, and runs then with different economics behind it, basically. Yeah, exactly. You can roughly... It is maybe um, a ratio of 80 to 20. Um, mm -hmm. So most of the customers we serve, they operate public services. And it is very interesting because they are using this technology also to save costs. Because mm -hmm. with our uh, analytics approach, we see a lot of areas where there are inefficient bus lines. You know, all these bus lines in suburban areas, but also in the night times. You have big buses running around, maybe running every 30 minutes, having seats for 40 passengers and only um, five or two of them really use them. So these public services are also used to save costs um, mm -hmm. to operate in areas where it makes much more sense to invert them to demand responsive transport systems. And yeah, the 20%, which I was speaking about, are also large corporates who use those services to serve their employees, to um, make the employee shuttle services better, to really pool their employees and make less usage of uh, parking spaces in, in front of the plants and so on. And this is the actual mix of our customer landscape here. We launched right into the conversation without describing yeah, a bit of the... Yeah, setup that you're also working in so far that not everybody might know, but it's interesting because you have like a significant size of team now working on these topics. I think you mentioned some disciplines that are working for you, but I guess it requires the buildup of significant IP to be able to offer this. And then you're also part of an ecosystem because Yoki is owned by Deutsche Bahn, right? A hundred percent, probably. And so can you talk a little bit about this? IP and like investment that's required maybe upfront and on, ongoing. How easy or difficult is it because there are a lot of players in the field that on the surface might offer something similar. There are mm -hmm. also smaller startups, might be 10, 15, 20 people that somehow offer software for shuttle services. And then there are other players also in your space that have 
they claim to have 200 engineers on the topic. So what is the heavy lifting to do and what difference does it really make if there are now 10 or 50 or even more engineers on this topic? How, how complex yeah. is the problem you're dealing with and do end customers or operators really see the difference? Yeah, yeah. Very good question. Yeah. So um, when I decided to join the mission of the Deutsche Bahn, which is yeah one of the Europe's largest mobility providers, and I always saying they are all, they are also a ride sharing company because they invented also ride sharing 100 years ago. We um, first of all before we created Aoki, we launched a so-called corporate program where we took a closer look about the disruption potential for Deutsche Bahn, which comes with autonomous driving on the streets. And together with the executive management of Deutsche Bahn, we came to the conclusion that we, as Deutsche Bahn, have to take a further look on demand-responsive transport at the current stage, uh, state even with drivers, and also, mm -hmm. of course, when autonomous driving uh, will be there. Um, because Deutsche Bahn is also has an, a strategic interest in, in strengthening public transport with the use of autonomous driving and um, demand-responsive transport systems. For example, to bring people from and to train station to the long-distance public transport um, systems. Um, so and so, we decided that we wanted to develop this technology with our on our own and with our own intellectual property. And in just uh, three years. Yeah, we build up a team of more than 100 people now at Iokians. We call ourselves Iokians. And uh, we are very proud that in the Dach area, we are already a market leader in regards of the numbers of services that are using our Aoki platform and technology. What really makes a difference, I think, regarding the other players, which we meet a lot in the market, and we really embrace also competition because this uh, this brings up much more faster developments and um, smarter solutions in the market. But maybe the special thing about us is really that we have a very, very deep knowledge in public transport, and we have a strategic interest in to really strengthen public transport with our system. And this is why also we have scaling partners like Regio Bus, which is one of the largest bus operators in, in Germany and also on a European perspective. We have Arriva, also one of a very big uh, mobility player there. And we are also serving these units of Deutsche Bahn to bringing these new technology and this demand responsive transport solutions on the road. And our existing customers, they are really looking a lot for knowledge that they know that somebody understands their existing business because public transport is a very old and very special business. And um, this is uh, what we are trying to serve. For example, in our mobility analytics teams, there are teams who also use a lot of data from existing uh, public transport and from the existing public transport networks. And this makes it, makes it different. And um, another factor is why we have built up a team of already 100 people is that the integration into existing public transport technology is getting deeper and deeper, which is a good sign because these services don't remain something like standalone and like pilots in a lot of areas, for example, in the RMV, which we also want to tender with, they are building up a really big on-demand network on the whole area of Hessen. 
and are knitting it into the existing public transport network everywhere, We're making it to a very, very deep and big um, transport network, integrated exist, integrating of existing public transport with uh, DRT solutions. Um, v, I think that's Frankfurt area. I believe that's like a launch yeah. that you also announced maybe earlier this year. It's not so long ago. And it was marked as the biggest of this kind of uh, operation by vehicles that was tendered out in the Dach region so far. Most of these yeah. are at a quite small scale, more like learning stage, very low number of vehicles. Can you give a little bit a sense for what's the typical size of these deals now, maybe even the Frankfurt, what, what size are we talking about? And where do you see this going once it's for a region like Frankfurt, once it's getting more mature in the next three to five years, maybe? How many vehicles would possibly yeah. be needed with the simulations that you're doing? What would make sense once you move beyond, once your yeah. clients move beyond like a learning phase? Yeah, actually, we, we see a growth in the size of um, these tenders. Of course, they, they differ a lot. They are very, very small rural areas who bring a service on the road with maybe just three to five vehicles, first of all, because they have not such a high density of population there. But the tenders we are seeing right now, like in the RMV areas, they are quite big. They started with launching the Heiner Liner at, at Darmstadt. Also in Offenbach, um, they, they started the Hopper um, service, service. And when you see the complete area of RMV, then they will be operating a three-digit numbers of vehicles there mm -hmm. and try to grow it. Also, in, in a European perspective, um, we see the tenders. We just won also a tender at Barcelona. We are also expanding to Spain there, which is also a size of around 40 vehicles there at Barcelona. And we see that um, the more demand is on these services, so um, the more people are switching and are trying to use also these shared pooling services to be connected to public transport, the more the B2G and the B2B customers are scaling their services. Of course, at the current one and a half years with the pandemic, it was also hit. A lot of services went down to just uh, 30, 40% of the maximum capacity. But if you see, for example, Hamburg there, were two DRT services with Moya and Yoki who were serving public transport in the lockdown area, which also shows that it uh, became an essential part of public transport within the last 24-month year. So to sum it up, we see a rise in the growth of the number of vehicles that are operated here, especially in the areas where they are cutting down existing bus lines um, because A shuttle service can also subsidize an existing bus lines where, like I stated before, the RT services make much more sense. And then we see also a bigger growth there because you have the existing budget and the existing money from, from bus lines there. And then you spend it into um, operating of the RT service there. What's an order of magnitude for a scale of a system like the Frankfurt region, for example, that you would foresee if if it's allowed to grow freely, let's say, you know, if the money is made available and so on, that this region has probably, maybe you know better, but maybe like 3 million people or so living in the region, roughly, and probably has like 5,000 taxis or so, if that's another queue, I don't know. But you are, how, how can this grow? What kind of scale do you foresee if this were really 
accepted as an addition to public transport, are we talking about probably then a few hundred cars driving around or a few thousand or even more than 10,000? What's kind of the yeah. idea how this could look like in a mature state? Yeah, if you see the, the complete population of the AMV area, this is around uh, 6.5 to 7 million people. Okay. So um, quite, quite huge. Uh, they are serving more than 700 million passengers a year. So, mm -hmm. so quite really a huge, a huge area there. I couldn't tell it um, to you for the AMV area because we didn't mm -hmm. make um, highly sophisticated simulations there for exactly that area. But for example, when you see the city of Hamburg and you really would like to build up um, an, a system where the suburban areas are also connected to the existing public transport areas, you probably would need a four-digit size, mm -hmm. fleet size, to serve all these needs. But if you have a look on the existing bus lines and um, if Some of the existing bus lines who are not used uh, so much or are not that efficient are subsidized by a public transport integrated DRT service. This would make a lot of sense. But if you, if you have a look on it at, at scale, you probably would need a four digit number uh, size um, of, of vehicles there in the mm -hmm. metropolitan area. And the cost of running one vehicle is probably like of magnitude 100 to 200,000 per year. So maybe times 5,000. That is. One billion per year, basically, also like 500 million to one billion per year to run this. How does that compare to like public transport budgets in the region today? Do you foresee that then as kind of, oh, look, that's only one part of it that almost fits into uh, today's budgets? Or would that be a future where cities spend a lot more on these systems because, yeah, because they, yeah. for political reasons, decide to do so because that's how they want mobility in their area? Is does that very easily fit in existing budgets, or is that does that mean probably larger public transport spends than today? At the current state, I I think these are um, extra budgets at some areas. Also, the government is subsidizing this by large programs mm -hmm. like Clean Air, Saubere Luft Program, mm -hmm. to really bring those new services on the road and to really pilot them and see what benefits they have. We see a um, also an, uh, an approach where, like I said, existing bus lines are cut and these mm -hmm. budgets are uh, taken into new non-responsive transport services. And I think this will scale up. Actually, we can see an annual growth rate of 400% regarding the tender market for DRT platforms in the past uh, two to three years. In the DACH region or Europe? Or like yeah, in the DACH. Okay. Exactly, exactly, in the DACH, in, in the DACH uh, region. The big breakthrough or the tipping point from my perspective will come within the next three to five years mm -hmm. when autonomous driving technology is really ready because mm -hmm. then you can save a lot of costs by operating driverless or by using teleoperations modes. And then this kind of uh, DRT systems are much more economically viable and sustainable than a lot of the existing, currently existing public transport modes. And I think in three to five years and growing then, um, we will see a change in the mobility systems, a more, a larger change in the mobility systems as we can see throughout the, the past two years. 
And then I wonder what the, yeah, what the kind of landscape of also technology providers into this will look like. You mentioned this, Dachfokus, is that for you just kind of where that one number came from or in general a focus for your marketing at the moment? Would you say you're mostly like launching in and marketing to clients in the Dach region or more European at this point? Or what's the kind of geographical scope for you that you're most interested in? Yeah, our core market is and um, remains the Dach area. Actually, mm -hmm. we, like like we said, um, there's also the highest growth rate and adoption mm -hmm. rate of these new technologies we are offering. But also we are fastly expanding to other European countries and are growing our teams there. In Europe, we have Arriva also as a scaling partner. We also started the first service uh, within the United Kingdom, close to London there. Mm -hmm. Also a client already launched a service with us in Spain last year. But we are also expanding to France and the Nordics, for example. So within oh, the quite next... European. Yeah. Quite European so at this point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> we often talk here about kind of also the market dynamics because yeah, urban mobility is not really a free market. And often the initial expectation of a founder or like a VC investor or so is that, okay, if we have the leading technology, we have the best sales team, we are going to yeah, dominate this. And then in reality, like decisions are taken also differently of who gets to play, who is getting chosen. And I think you are a part of tender businesses now a lot. And I wonder how you see this market unfolding and who will get to provide this technology, for example, like you are doing? How are decisions made about who a city will host on? Is that all technical requirements or what are other dimensions that they are taking into account? And and yeah, therefore, how does that impact basically how you will also maybe compete against other players, against US VC-backed players, maybe against other local players? Because it's not yeah. just like a free market, whoever gets their first wins. Yeah, what, what we actually see is really that these new DRT offers become really part of the existing public transport system. Mm -hmm. This is why we, we build up this completely white label platform, which is able to deeply integrate into existing public transport systems, mm -hmm. also being able to integrate into mobility as a service apps which is mm -hmm. also a trend. A lot of cities are launching more and more their mm -hmm. own mass approach, which is also, of course, served by, by big SaaS players, by mass players. And we are also connecting to these platforms with our API. This is also a very, very um, important thing that from, from a mass perspective, the DRT service can be completely booked and used uh, from this perspective. And we see this um, development right into a more deep integration into existing in the heart of public transport as a competitive advantage um, for mm -hmm. us because um, there's all these tenders, there's a lot of uh, consultation work because the cities have different needs. They have different goals on a holistic level, what goals they want to reach um, for their cities. And with these two components, for, for on the one hand, With uh, mobility analytics, we are able to serve those needs on the consultation level and also with a white label platform to bring those services on the road. We feel like it works very fine, this kind of business model we have implemented here. And it's, uh, the game has a lot of change um, within the last two or three years. 
where a lot of standalone services were, lo- were launched. Mm-hmm. And also the cities are, um, yeah, we all know where thousands of uh, sharing bicycles, where cities were flooded with these sharing bicycles. And I think the, especially the, the European or the Dach area cities learned a lot from this and are building up their, their own teams, very smart teams who are orchestrating which kind of mobility offers they want to build within their cities. And this is what the, the current state looks like. Yeah. So you're saying important dimensions for city tenders are also, to what extent, how deeply can you integrate to existing public transport systems? And can you also then uh, show up in a mass solution that might become popular or that the city might yeah, adopt? Because sometimes cities now widely label their own solution. That integration into existing public transport sounds to me like also coming from a software perspective, like potentially like a yellow flag in terms of maybe a lot of customization, a lot of heavy lifting. Every city might run a different system, have legacy and so on. Are you seeing that? And is that something that you're then basically embracing and saying we have teams for that, we are ready for that. So we are going to not run kind of a one size fits all, but we are just have set ourselves up in this way that we are going to offer integrating with whatever you have at the moment? Or am I basically yeah. dramatizing that too much? Yeah, at the current state, this works fine because um, with Yoki, we are we also have a platform business model. Mm-hmm. So it's very mm-hmm. important for, for us that we don't build too many single solutions. We mm-hmm. can only use once because we want to use them, if it's possible, a thousand times. Mm-hmm. And actually, maybe I can say maybe eight, it's an 80 to 20% ratio. Of course, mm-hmm. we are also building single solutions for some cities or for some operators, which they really need, where, which, where there is a local need. But 80% of the requirements we are developing here, they really have a platform effect. For example, in Hamburg, we are integrating into the app the informations of the timetables of all the Uh, public transport, modes of transport, so Mm -hmm. that you can have multimodal and intermodal rights. Mm -hmm. And and as a passenger, you also get the information on this. This, what we are building here, can be used uh, Germany-wide, for example, and uh, we have a cool platform um, effect on this. And what we also see is that our customers see us as a a partner, as a consulting partner, with all our background from, from technology and DRT, but also from on public transport, we sit together on a table and are crafting the best solution um, that is possible because our knowledge in the um, European market with a lot of different customers also helps our customers to see how other customers have implemented this or that feature. And then they hop on maybe to an existing standard and say, oh, wow, this is cool. I can use this one. I was thinking maybe too um, too difficult, first of all. And this is mm-hmm. also what happens and which we are very happy about. That is, it's not, this DRT business is not working like a software factory where there are hundreds different signal solutions on the market, but also we have platform effects here. Mm-hmm. And how does the value chain look like after you when you provide the tech solution and you can license it out? And maybe there was some customization involved to integrate into their existing public transport infrastructure. Who is running the day-to-day operations? Is that typically on the client side, people that they have already? Or do you have partners that are specialized on yeah, 
driver services or and and that you would recommend how do you typically solve this part or or do you even in some cases offer that in house yeah, this depends. Uh, we as Yoki are a completely asset light company. So mm -hmm. we are really providing the technology here, but also we have um, a customer integration and service team who do a train the trainer approach. Mm -hmm. um, so what we are doing typically, we are implementing this service. Um, we are doing trainings for the drivers, um, show them how the uh, driver app, for example, looks like. We are also doing trainings for the local operators who know um, how, how, how do they do the shift planning, for example, for their fleet, that it works very efficiently or with all this business intelligent components, how they can see how they can improve their services. And so we are doing a train, uh, train the trainer approach there. If a customer really says, um, I would like to build up my own service here, for example, with a Verkehrsbetrieb Hamburg-Holstein, who completely um, employed all the drivers, um, the vehicles and so on, we also have um, scaling partners like uh, Clever Shuttle, mm -hmm. also um, Deutsche Bahn um, company, and they are doing the complete operations. Mm -hmm. For example, in Darmstadt, we are providing the platform, and Clever Shuttle is doing all the operations there in the name of the Heag Mobilo, mm -hmm. um, and they are providing the drivers and all the knowledge. Because Clever Shuttle has a lot of knowledge, as you know. They did a lot of B2C services and are doing this in a lot of companies. This is also a, um, a model uh, we are using also with DB Regio Bus. We are having a lot of launches with DB Regio Bus there where they are operating the service and providing the drivers. So different models here. Okay. Uh, we as Yoki are always um, yeah, a technology company and we are providing the technology here as our core business. You mentioned at the very beginning that one element that's also exciting is that you're building the direct uh, or demand responsive transport solution with autonomous vehicles already in mind. What changes, and you already have actually launched some, I think one was the first like on German roads publicly available and so on. They are now kind of more pilot stage, but what changes when there's an autonomous vehicle from your perspective? What are some of yeah. the unexpected things? It's not just, okay, you have a driver up to tell them where to go. Now you tell the vehicle basically where to go. But what are other elements that we might not think about at first that are now are different if we have this different kind of vehicle? Yeah. yeah yes, you're right. Our, our platform is, is completely autonomous ready. Um, and we launched it uh, with uh, several partners. A first service in Karlsruhe. Mm. Also, we launched the first uh, line-based service in Bad Birnbach in 2017. But this service we launched just a couple of weeks ago. There are three highly automated vehicles floating around in the normal road traffic there. So it is not a special area only for these autonomous mm -hmm. vehicles. So other participants like cars, bicycles, pedestrians and so on are sharing the road space with these vehicles. And you can book your autonomous ride right at your fingertips with an app and then, like you said, we are sending so-called missions to these vehicles and they only drive to stops where people are demanding a ride and rides are shared if people are heading in the same direction. At the current state, this is not at a very high speed, but the technology works very fine. And I believe that in the next three to five years, we will see a lot of these vehicles on the road, also in a mixed road mode with drivers and driverless cars together. 
And then we come closer to a very convenient, and this is the game changer, I guess, to a very convenient and cost-efficient road-based uh, public uh, transport. Because most of the service can be very highly automated. Mm -hmm. I think there will still be a lot of people uh, need to operate these services behind the scenes. For example, teleoperations, mm -hmm. uh, teleoperations unit, um, if really um, there is an incident and the customer has a demand and then you switch into the uh, vehicle with a camera and you talk to the clients. But I think the most important thing is really the cost side of the service that with these highly automated services, there will be things like with Netflix, uh, really mobility flat rates available where you get a complete service for maybe a fixed amount per month and you can completely consume as much mobility available everywhere in the city or in the suburban and the rural areas, what you like. And then these kind of services are much more attractive than to own a private car because the convenience is so much higher. It is, it is cheaper than to operate your own private car, but also all these hassles with searching for parking spaces and so on. Uh, they don't exist anymore because you mm -hmm. have this autonomous fleets floating around. And for me, this is the biggest change. Of course, also there are minor changes like ticket control um, can be done by near field communication right within the car. Mm -hmm. And also these kind of things which need um, and not a lot of care at the current state, at the current services that are existing are not needed anymore. And this will really be a game changer, I think, and will completely shape and change the kinds of usage of mobility and public transport on the road that we currently see. And who will go into a tender with a city for a service like that? Will that be the company that manufactured this pot or whatever, this moving uh, self-driving vehicle, and then take somebody along who can build the booking layer basically and the software to run the operations or an operator who then takes a vehicle company and a software company along or the software company that then, or will, will there be sort of alliances that some companies always kind of go together? How do you see that? Well, because I think now you are typically in the lead on the tender and then you yeah. basically suggest a vehicle or find a partner for this specific tender. Yeah. How do you think about this dynamic? Is it going to be a mix of the two or what would be the natural state of how this dynamic between the different people that provide this value chain basically plays out? Yeah, actually, if we follow the, the current uh, tender landscape, the, these uh, different value chain components like the platform, the drivers and even the vehicles, At the current state, some of the tenders, they are separating these and they mm -hmm. are really buying all these different components. And I really believe that this will also happen when autonomous driving mm -hmm. will come more and more. This is also why we are completely free regarding partners. So mm -hmm. we are connecting to different autonomous vehicle manufacturers. We provide an API which is able to operate maybe Easy Mile Shuttles, Navia Shuttles, or other autonomous vehicle providers there so um, that we can enter these tenders and whatever the city 
is longing for. Maybe they have a special need for a special kind of car. They are able to operate via the platform. So I really think the landscape with autonomous services will pretty much look like the actual state there where these different value chain components are separated. Mm, interesting. Very great. Thanks a lot for all these insights that you cannot really read anywhere at the moment. It's like a cutting edge of what's currently happening. And I think that now like people take note a little bit. It's like funky, for example, our offices here in Hafen City, there is an autonomous bus, like slowly sometimes moving around and stuff. And you sometimes have already read it in the newspaper. But that really in a few years, that would be the dominant or at least super visible form of moving within cities because of also the political will, not so much because it just makes sense, it's cheaper and so on, but because cities want the cars out in a way, like to say it in a short uh, form. Yeah. And this is a very cost-effective way to continue to provide a very, flex uh, very similar flexibility, I think, because we are all about like minutes and not changing like from one bus line to another and so on and connecting quickly and conveniently. And yeah, it's very interesting what you've already created. Thanks a lot for taking the time here and sharing your insights. Yes, thanks a lot again for having me and Aoki. Very interesting and uh, hopefully we meet each other in the market. And uh, yeah, we are both shaping the mobility of the future. And uh, I would really... I'm really looking forward for another podcast, maybe in uh, three or four years, and then we can reflect our podcast from today and see <laughs> If it really what happens. What happens. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah, I hope to see you in person again soon, too. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gunnar. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.